The Start On Demand. On demand. Mayor Brian Bowman has fired another shot across the bow at the province. He is now threatening to stop collecting school taxes. He joined us today. You'll hear what's on his mind. The federal budget was unveiled on Tuesday. Does it actually help anyone? Our friend Lara Ray stopped by to tell us about Dragonfly, a play she has written about her journey as a transgender woman. And the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air gets a fan-made reboot. It's dark, gritty, and looks amazing. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, March 20th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, and the mayor. Well, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Good. You've been up since 4.30 in the morning. You're telling us that's pretty regular for you to get yeah. up that early. But yeah. I'm curious what had you up last night, because as you left City Hall yesterday, yeah. it feels like we kind of kicked up the funding squabble yeah. another notch. So we've been going back and forth about who owes what to the city, who owes what, you know, where's where's the dollar supposed to come from? Um, we're going to vote later this morning mm-hmm. on that city budget, yeah. which includes less dollars for roads, Largely because you say that there's this shortfall or a retroactive cut from the province. Well, when- yeah, I mean, so there, there were a couple things yesterday. I mean, the, the most notable was, of course, the federal budget and the, the additional dollars through the, the doubling of the uh, gas tax. So that had uh, definitely an extra uh, uh, bounce in, in my step. In, right, because that puts more Canada. money in the city coffers, yeah, potentially. Yeah, uh, yeah, significant. Uh, I mean, rough estimates are over $40 million. If, um, if the federal government... If the liberals the budget. and yeah. if the liberals are elected again in the fall, is it contingent on that? Uh, my, no, my understanding is it's. Uh, I mean, it's subject to they got to pass their budget first, and then uh, and then those dollars would flow. But in terms of the, there hasn't been anything new in terms of the um, uh, the shortfall in the 2018 roads budget from the province. I mean, we still have uh, we've been asking for a reconciliation of what projects uh, the province uh, believes. Uh, allows them to uh, to say they they've exhausted the 250 million dollar commitment. We've been asking, we don't have it, and the reality is we have a 40 million dollar hole in last year's roads budget, which we found out about this year. And so we got to deal with that, and we're dealing with it in what I think is a responsible way for Winnipeg property taxpayers. Okay, we'll get into what folks think about the roads and the fewer sure. dollars there in a second. In response to this back and forth yesterday, the you said that you were essentially threatening to stop collecting school taxes, which are done by, by the city, which me, people might not realize that when they get their tax bill, yeah. it includes both the property tax and the education tax. The city collects those taxes. And you're saying now that you might stop doing that. Can you explain well, that? Yeah. I mean, I can understand if you've been a politician for decades, then you might just kind of rubber stamp these things and not, um, not give it too much thought. Um, when I came into city hall a couple years ago, uh, the, this, it's just, it's a really bizarre framework that we have here in Manitoba. Basically what's happening is the provincial government, it's not just this provincial government, provincial governments have required municipalities like the city of Winnipeg to approve at council tax increases uh, and tax rates that are set by another elected body, which are school divisions. And so what's changed in recent weeks is two things. Uh, The provincial government is now reviewing uh, the framework for school divisions and school boards. They've expressly said they don't want to consider the funding model or formula. And I think that's a mistake. And I would encourage them to do so because it just, it doesn't make sense to have, uh, have the city of Winnipeg not only voting on tax increases or tax rates of, of another democratically elected uh, group of, of, of elected folks, but to then send the bill out confuses people, uh, and, and understandably so. Um, you get a bill from the city of Winnipeg that is nearly, you know, it's roughly double what it should be because property taxes that we, we set are about half, and the other is, is education. This is a provincial responsibility, and it uh, it definitely confuses folks. Um, you know, can you imagine if the federal government for an area of exclusive federal jurisdiction like defense or something like that required under law this provincial government and this premier to vote on the floor of the legislate, legislative assembly to approve with penalty? You know, you must vote and you must approve and then you must send the tax bill out to Manitobans for something within federal jurisdiction. 
It's absurd. So you're not and saying can, you're not going to. Can you imagine the reaction from from this provincial government if that were to happen? So, so philosophically, I, yeah. philosophically, I think a lot of people can buy into what you're selling on this front. But legally, can you do this? And are you genuinely prepared yeah. to send me a different bill than the tax bill that you're planning to send me in the first place? Well, what we did yesterday is we voted um, this year to approve it. So, so EPC yesterday voted to approve it and and send it to council tomorrow. So our regular council meeting tomorrow, we'll vote for it. And I plan to vote for it. I wanted to, to uh, make the point publicly. I wanted to put on the public record and also indicate to the province that while they're doing this review right now, I mean, they kickstarted this discussion with this review and also dictating to, um, to school divisions what their rates should be. And then we're required to actually send the bill out while we're also at times being attacked for property taxes being high. Well, the province could get it off the municipal property tax bill, lower Winnipeg property taxpayers' ultimate bill by about a half with the stroke of a pen. But you're putting and, on them all um, notice that you're not going to collect anymore? What, like what, no, what, what's the, well, so we, because legally you're required yeah, by law to collect that education tax, right? It is kind of a bizarre uh, framework because we're democratically elected. We can vote yay or nay to something on the floor. And we're being told under the provincial legislation, we have to vote a certain way. I object to that. Um, I'm going to vote the way that I feel is appropriate for the citizens that I serve. Uh, next year, if it comes before me, if they don't change the framework... I'll be voting no. Um, the reason I didn't do it this year is I, I wanted to provide the province and others like you the, the opportunity and really highlight this, that the framework is 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 less than ideal. And, and can you only imagine if there was a similar dynamic that the federal government was imposing on the provincial government, what the reaction would be? But you have no say. And like legally, you're required to do this. This would well, require I mean, provincial change, would it not? I, or do you have to I, vote on it every year? We have to. So council is required to approve it. Right. But is there a stop out. button that you can just hit that says, OK, well, now we're not collecting this money. Do figure it out on your own? Well, and that's that's the uh, the reason I didn't vote no this year is the implications are are less than clear. I mean, it, there is a legal framework. But I will be voting no next year, and I'm going to be encouraging my council colleagues to vote no. Some have very different views on the taxation rates. Some think it should be higher. Some think it should be lower. What I'm saying is that's really not our area of jurisdiction. Uh, education is a provincial area of responsibility. And so um, I think that it would be wise for the provincial government to, to really consider that funding formula and the framework now. Given the argument that's gone on, though, for the last few months over the, over the funding to the city and this $40 million discrepancy, it might come across, and to many listening, as a bit of a petty move or at least a statement to say, okay, it, we're, we're, we're doing this because you guys are we're done. Yeah. You're taking us off, and now we're going to cut um, off another source if we can. I wouldn't go that far. Look, uh, we're dealing with the $40 million shortfall in our budget in what I think is a responsible way. We, and councillors vote on that today. Um, this... this um, Grievance that municipal politicians have had uh, predates my term in office. Politicians of, of all stripes at, at municipal levels have criticized the practice of having to send out a bill for the province and, and the educational system every year. What's different right now, though, is we have a provincial government who is currently reviewing uh, school divisions and the framework. And so um, they've kickstarted this discussion. I, I'm simply asking that they review the funding model and formula. Um, it, it only makes common sense to consider it at the same time. And then, of course, in recent weeks, we see, uh, you know, dictating to the school boards what the rates should be. The time is right. The responsible thing for me would not have been to to try to oppose it this year, but to provide that year's notice of how my vote will go next year, because I, I am elected. I can vote yay or nay. And I'm indicating my vote next year will be not to approve uh, it going forward. And there will be implications and the province now has a year to consider what those implications are if my vote carries the day. Now, last year, we heard similar conversation about potentially handing back the responsibility of delivering ambulance service. It was something that you suggested that you were considering and that you might do. Is that still under consideration? The ambulance service and health service, it's not a matter of handing it back. It is an area of provincial responsibility. Healthcare is provincial. What we said is we're not going to foot the bill for... Uh, for ambulance services anymore that will deliver the service uh, on behalf of the province as contractor like we've been doing, but we will do it on a revenue or a cost neutral basis. And this budget we're voting on today implements that and the province will start getting regular bills for the the balance. For the difference. Yeah, I mean, we shouldn't, uh, I mean, I, again, um, it's a, healthcare is a provincial service. And so it doesn't make sense for us to be, um, you know, charging property taxpayers 
for uh, an area of, of exclusive provincial jurisdiction like healthcare. So you got a four-page letter from Minister Wharton yesterday, as we oh, understand. Oh, it's not the first. Yeah, we get lots of letters from him and from the Premier. Um, the, the letter the, the, the letter that, that was sent yesterday and the letters that we've sent in the past uh, continue to fail to identify what we've asked. We've asked for an itemized list of, of what are the Why projects. the resistance? Why the resistance to, to sit down and question. go would, through a check? Yeah, I've asked checklist. to meet with the Premier to have that discussion. Unfortunately, he's been unwilling to meet to, to, to well, try to deal with this. Well, they're saying, Mr. Mayor, that they've given you all the information that you need and that they've explained. That have you seen it? They, that they've, I don't need to see it. You need to no, see no, it. I, no, but I, we just, have asked for that information, yeah. and I understand what you're saying. But yeah. they're saying this, so at the end of the day, you've just got a taxpayer that's probably largely, largely saying, "I don't care who pays yeah. for what. Let's just settle this, so we know where the money's coming from." And your own council, members of your own council, have said, "We want to see that information too." I so, do too. So we don't have it. We, we I've there's been, still no proof as far as you're concerned. That's why we've put in the in the budget we're voting on today, asking the provincial government yet again. But this time, council directed request for reconciliation of how they feel they've met their obligations. They have yet to do that. Um, yeah, in the letter that we got this week, too, they introduced us. Now they're saying it's essentially it was a political promise of the previous NDP. I mean, they they're made saying good. there was no legal requirement to give you that. $40 well, million. yeah, I mean, look, they, they made good on it for two years. And then this year they retroactively cut the funding. And so we're, we're dealing with it in today's budget by by lowering the the. Um, the capital build for roads. And I think that's the most responsible thing to do rather than increasing property taxes or massively increasing debt as has been proposed by, by some in the community. Mayor Brian Bowman joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mr. Mayor, thank you as always for the Thank visit. you. Have a great day, guys. Members of your own council have said, we want to see that information too. I so- do too. So we don't have it. We, we been, there's still no proof as far as you're concerned. That's why we've put in the in the budget we're voting on today, asking the provincial government yet again, but this time council directed request for reconciliation of how they feel they've met their obligations. They have yet to do that. Um, yeah, in the letter that we got this week too, they introduced us. Now they're saying it's essentially. It was a political promise of the previous NDP. I mean, they they're made saying good. there was no legal requirement to give you that forty well, million dollars. Yeah, I mean, look, they they made good on it for two years, and then this year they retroactively cut the funding, and so we're we're dealing with it in today's budget by by lowering the the um, the capital build for roads, and I think that's the most responsible thing to do. Hard feelings here. Mm. You can hear it. You can feel it. Uh, the mayor sounds let down. The province feels put out. I think we've all been out for dinner with a large group of people, and maybe you go out with them a bunch of different times. And you order based on the fact that, you know, I'm going to pay my share or or me and my partner are going to pay our share. And so we're calculating, yeah, we're going to just, we're going to have this, this, and we're going to maybe have a appetizer and two glasses of wine. And then you're with a group of 10 people. You like them all. They're great people. The bill comes and someone hmm. decides we're going to split it 10 ways. Oh, geez. Uh, I would have had uh, something different for dinner if I would have known we were splitting it 10 ways. So then you go with the same group, same thing happens. Well, after the third time, even though you like the people, hard feelings start to develop. Well, then the dynamic of the relationship can change. And then you find out pretty quickly that you might have to get an itemized bill when you're out with these folks. Ag- agreement, a legal and contract. A, at least <laughs> sit side by side with each other and go through it. I went through this with my best friend. We moved to Calgary together and we were renting trailers, we were buying gas, there were meals, hotels, damage deposit, and I was keeping track in my head. He was keeping track and finally got down to it and it was like, um, you know what, man, I'm short this month. Can I get that two twenty five? You owe me. I don't owe you two twenty five. Yeah, you know the, the the. No, we're square. We're square. All right. So we had to get out the pen and the paper and sit down and go through all the things. And then you realize that maybe you're letting some stuff slide that he doesn't, or he is letting some stuff slide that he wasn't counting that ten bucks or that twenty. Well, this is obviously magnified, but it's the same damn thing. You got to sit down and go through it line by line, get agreement on it and go, you know what? You're right. You don't owe me that cash or yeah, you're right. We don't owe you 40, but we owe you 22, 22. Yeah. 22. How much did he owe you? At the end, he owed me 225. (laughs) (laughs) But your point would be get in the room. Stop sending. Like, did you send him a letter? To say no. you still owe me this money and it goes back and forth. I mean, we're talking about millions of dollars of taxpayer money. Get in the same room and come out with the proof. Someone might have to say they're wrong 
And that's fine too. Or maybe there's a gray area we don't understand. That's fine too. But get in the room. Why do people whose money, this, if you're a city of Winnipeg taxpayer, and that provincial money is your money, if you're City of Winnipeg taxpayer, the money that the mayor is asking for is your money. The mayor, the money that the mayor says is missing is your money. Or on the other side, if you're saying, well, the province is right, wouldn't you want to know? Why wouldn't you want to know that the people in this circumstance are correct and that they know how to do math? One thing I've learned here is uh, don't shortchange Greg money. because oh, he's going to take you down, Brett. Yeah, he's, I've always said you've got a great memory, Greg. You yeah. have a steel trap. Yeah, you're in tr- good, we're all in trouble. Good for you, though, for, for getting your money. Get your money, Greg. Got to get your money. He's got a ton of way, friends listening now. We're the like way, ducking their hands in share, the sand. We share season tickets for the Jets. We, we've been friends. We've, sure. You know, and, and it was just one circumstance because it had come to a head and it was the time of the month. Rent was due. I didn't have my portion of the rent. In my mind, he had my portion of my rent in his pocket. And I needed it. And you got it. And I got it. We start this hour with the federal budget. Yeah, and depending on which headline you're looking to, it's it's being touted as a little something for everyone, but it actually adds up to a lot. Billions of dollars in spending as we head into the election year and to help break us down, break this down and kind of answer the question of whether or not this actually served as a distraction to the SNC-Lavalin affair. We're joined by Chief Political Correspondent for Global News, David Aiken. Good morning, David. Good morning, guys. And, you know, I don't know if it is going to distract from that SNC-Lavalin affair, maybe for a day or two. Uh, but I, I'm absolutely certain the Conservatives and probably the New Democrats, too, are still going to want to keep the heat on the government over that matter. You've covered a lot of budgets over the years, David. And traditionally, what we try to see in these, what we know the motive in these years is sort of to get voters thinking about what their government, why to reelect this government. Is there anything on this table that you think is going to do that in terms of a promise being made? Well, that's exactly what this document does, the budget document does. It does announce a whole lot of new spending programs that total up to about $22 billion of new spending. But that is that that is new spending spread out over the next five or six years. And most of that spending happens, lo and behold, after the fall election. And so quite clearly, the Liberals are saying... Uh, to everybody in the country, hey, reelect us, and these spending programs continue. Reelect some or elect somebody else, and some of these programs might be at risk. And what are some of the programs? Well, for example, seniors. Uh, if you're a working senior, you're getting CPP plus you're doing a little work on the side. You're probably getting your GIS or Guaranteed Income Supplement clawed back a fair bit. The government says. We won't claw back so much. Okay, that's a bit of a pay raise for those seniors who are still out there working. Students who are taking out student loans are going to get a break on their interest. Uh, there's going to be some new skills training programs for both those already on EI and those working, be able to go out and, and uh, you know upgrade your skills, if you like. Uh, but these are not monster programs. They're not tons of spending. And to be honest, we were talking to a lot of accountants in the lockup yesterday and is there something that is going to affect small businesses and most, you know, ordinary Canadians today? Not really. It's all stuff sort of down the road. But again, it's a liberal signaling, hey, if you like program spending, we're the, we're the party for that. Uh, and we figure that you won't care much about the fact that it's deficits as far as the eye can see. I saw nothing in there for me, David, that, that made me want to go out and buy a yeah. cupcake and put a <laughs> candle in and celebrate in any way, shape, or form. But uh, one of the programs that was sort of touted heading into this is about as complicated as it gets uh, in the estimation of myself and and uh, my colleague Brett McGarry sitting next to me here, and that has to do with uh, incentives and the help for first-time home buyers, it seems awfully complicated, and lots of people saying it might not be even a good idea to take advantage of this program. It is a little complicated, but let's boil it down. What does it? it what is the objective? It is to make it easier in some ways for people who are in the first-time home buying market to get into the buying market. So to increase the supply of first-time home buyers. But here's the problem. We don't have a problem necessarily with the supply of first-time home buyers. We've got a lot of people in the country that want to buy a home. In fact, Canada's got one of the highest rates of home ownership in the world. What we have a problem with is affordable homes. Uh, whether it's Winnipeg, of course we know Vancouver, it's off the charts. I think the average, at the average price of a home in Vancouver is like 970000 bucks. 
So we have a supply problem. And what the government did yesterday was essentially increase the demand. And when you increase the demand and you don't do anything about supply, what are you going to do? You're going to drive up the cost of the existing supply. So essentially what the, the this complicated suite of programs announced yesterday, this is our experts talking, that the chief economists at TD Bank as well as uh, chief economists at left-leaning think tanks, say this is going to actually make affordability worse. And that means fewer people who want to get into a new home are going to be able to do so even with the uh, rule changes to allow you to sort of tap into new new pots of money. When you asked the finance minister about that and the fact that your experts were saying this is not going to help in terms of the affordability, what was his response? He said, you're wrong, Aiken. That's what he said. Uh, and what is he going to say? Of course, that's uh, what he's going to say. But I mean, we've got the finance minister, fine. He's going to, he's, and he'll be I'm sure he'll be in Winnipeg very shortly, but typically what they do is they sort of make the cross-country tour hitting a chamber of commerce or a board of trade breakfast. You know, he's going to have to make that case. But as I say, this is a lot of people who know a lot more than I do and possibly more than Bill Morneau does about the housing market. And I think it's pretty obvious that there is a supply problem. On the political angle, this is what I find interesting is the liberals, I think, made themselves more vulnerable to their left, to their progressive flank, because the New Democrats, I guarantee you, they're going to be hammering away on more housing, more affordable housing, more affordable rental housing. In other words, increase the supply of housing. National Pharmacare, that's something the NDP first came up with. The liberals stole the idea. And even though it was in the budget, it's just a, you know, uh, not a few million bucks this year, essentially, to study it, set up an agency that's not even going to be in existence for two or three years. So the New Democrats are going to hit them on national farm care. And what about child care? Again, New Democrats think we need to build more child care spaces, increase the supply of child care spaces. All the liberals have done nothing in this budget. In the last budget, they provided some money to parents who want child care, but that's increasing demand. We come back to good old supply and demand. If you're going to increase demand of housing or of child care, you got to do something about increasing the supply. So on the left, I think on pharmacare, child care, and housing, availability and supply, I think the Democrats have an opportunity here. And the Greens possibly too, that, that progressive wing. And on the right, you have the Conservatives who can go after them for their spending. The deficit going forward is going to hit $19.8 billion, And now we're just, instead of we're going to balance the books by this year, we're, we're just never going to balance the books? Well, we're going to talk about this uh, retro potential reboot of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I would say that we're going to see a lot of rebooting <laughs> of the old, the, ba- the budget will balance itself uh, commercials like we saw four years ago, David. Yeah, no, I think you may be right, but I think there's peril for the Conservatives here because clearly in the last election, Canadians didn't seem to care that much about balanced budget. But mind you, we were all told first that deficits were never going to be bigger than $10 billion a year, and B, that it was going to be balanced this year, 2019. And of course it isn't. It is, but uh, deficits as far as the eye can see. Now, the same economists who are criticizing Morneau over his housing plan will also say, you know, to be honest, these deficits, relatively speaking, are pretty tiny. I mean, we're talking, you know, $15, $20 billion a year on a $350 billion budget. That's how much the federal government spends in a $2 trillion a year economy. That's the Canadian economy. So they're relatively small. But I know I've talked to a lot of what I'll call blue liberals, liberals who, you know, have a small C uh, fiscal conservative bent. And even they tell me that some of their constituents have been saying, can you at least tell us when we're going to balance. I get that maybe the economy's a little soft right now, might have to spend a little more, but can we put a number on like three years we're going to balance? And so we'll see how much the conservatives want to make out of that. I guarantee you they will. They think that this is inappropriate, all the debt that's being piled on. And, you know, go ahead, they can make that. There's certainly a voter out there who thinks this is the time to be a little more prudent. David Aiken, Global's chief political correspondent, joining us live on 680 CJOB. David, thank you as always. Hey, no problem, guys. Have a great morning. Are you going to sing along, McNabb? No. Just let, the, just let him do it. This is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. And Callie I loves this. Take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. With so many reboots of classic television shows getting a new lease on life, Greg, it shouldn't come as a surprise that many fans are hoping for a reboot as well. Yes, and so sometimes in this day and age, fans can become 
the impetus for creating this. There's a new fan-made trailer of an imagined remake of the popular television comedy series, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. It's gone viral. The tone, a little darker than the original light-hearted series. The only reason why you're not in jail is because Uncle Phil called in a favor. Take your time. So easy. You thought this? You're stupid. You are carrying a gun on the streets to protect yourself? I've done my best, Will. But it's time for a change. You're going to Bel Air. To live with your uncle and your auntie. Bel-Air, out of all places. This is a second chance, Will. So what's happening in that clip is just like as you might recall in the opening credits uh, for the sitcom, he's playing basketball on the playground. The ball goes into the, the stands, as it were, and hits a bad guy in the face, and he's not happy about it. And there's a fisticuff, and then the cops show up, and they pull a gun out of Will Smith's or Will's bag, and... Uncle Phil calls in a favor and keeps him out of jail. Yeah, and it just goes from there. Uh, much darker than you might have imagined and remember from the uh, comedy series, of course. Trailer's director is Morgan Cooper, and he says in a tweet, Like most 90s kids, I grew up watching Fresh Prince. Even as a kid, I always thought there was more to the story, so I decided to make this. Gives a shout-out to the incredible team who worked on the proposed or possible trailer, however you want to view this. It's a work of art on its own. Jeff Braun, did you watch The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air in the oh, 90s? Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. What did you think of this? Of this thing? Yeah. Well, this is just a fan trailer, right? They're yeah. not actually doing it. No, they're not doing it. Yeah, but so, so I don't think so should, they? <laughs> should they? Should, should they? they? Like the dark, dramatic version of it? Yeah. No. I'm not interested in that. To watch the show because it was funny. Would you be into a reboot that was no. just a reversion? Well, Uncle, Uncle Phil's dead, so that's mm -hmm. out the window right there. Good point, but that could be was part like, of the story. He was the best part, and they'll never get Will Smith to do it, so. Nope, so, sorry, Fresh Prince fans, but this is not going to happen. Well, and I don't think anyone's <laughs> suggesting it will happen. The conversation is whether or not we would like to see it happen, or perhaps not this show, but maybe another show, like Kelly Moore. Is there a show from the... Green from Acres. <laughs> Yeah, they get into <laughs> carbon gas initiatives and Arnold, who knows what Arnold's doing in the pork industry. <laughs> I was thinking along the, you know, again, I'm going to date myself, but I was thinking along the lines of the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, I mean, all of a sudden the, the drought hits the backwoods of Tennessee, so a family has to go to Compton and now they uh, have to <laughs> overcome the, uh, uh, the urban challenges of being hillbillies in a strange land. Oh and, my, uh, that's an interesting, great of what, wrath sort of exactly, view yeah. of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure. When Brent uh, first sent out the uh, the message this morning on what we were going to talk about, I thought, mm, okay. Um, but either way, I'm going to date myself here, so I knew I knew Braun would be all over me. <laughs> well, it wasn't Green Acres. That's okay. I think yeah. it's, I think that the question here is, you know, we talked about 90210, and then before um, Lori Laughlin scandal, there lots of people were talking about Full House uh, and Full House, House and yeah. Full House, and like like why do we want to see these '80s and '90s sitcoms come back? The same reason we collect hockey cards. Uh, seek it's just out pure the, nostalgia. Yes, seek out the lunchbox that your mom or dad wouldn't buy for you, or the one that you had and and your buddy stole from you, or, or similar. Right? We yearn for those things from our childhood for well, whatever reason. The actress who played Hillary Banks um, told ET Canada she would be interested in this. Kind of reboot, but she thinks one of the reasons why we like it is because reality, reality, reality TV replaced so much of the sitcoms that we know, and people are now looking back to get something that felt. Mm. Real, and I don't know if that might have some truth to it. I, I think in this age of reboots, so I, if if someone were to take on an old show and do something like this with it, I would be okay with that. And in fact, I guess you could argue that the CW already has with Riverdale, with its weird sort of take on the Archie Comics universe. I think McNabb, I've heard you say it's mm. a ridiculous show. I've, just, I've seen a couple episodes. I know that people who watch it are heavily addicted to it. It's just not. It's not River. It's not Archie. I mean, there's Archie and Veronica, and there's. Betty and there's Jughead. In name only? In name only, and then that's it. There's yeah. like gargoyles and murder and mayhem. It's not Riverdale. I've often thought it would be wicked for Young and the Restless to go off the air for <laughs> a year. Oh, hear me out. Hear me out. 
<laughs> there are some there are some very attractive actors and actresses. Do we still say that? The very attractive actors an act- of an attractive genders, cast. attractive cast. Yeah. That I would you know it's revealing uh Clothing or lack of clothing that they wear in the uh, afternoon on television. In a movie, they could wear less. Oh my gosh! I'd like to hear. Hold on! I'd like to hear Victor swear for real. And I think they should make a movie and tie up a bunch of loose. Oh, you want like Young and the Restless uncut? I want it uncut, unedited, unfiltered on the big screen. That's what I want. I think that would do very well. Uh, I would like to see a Young and the Restless film. Let us know what you think. Is there a show you'd like to see? Get a complete reboot in tone. (laughs) Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Thank you very much for joining us. I thought I would find some music that was fitting to what Greg was describing earlier. This is a song called Cramming for College. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I found it on, a, on an adult soundtrack, shall we say, back when I worked in college radio. Ron oh Jeremy my. was on the front. Oh, oh my. That's where I'll leave that. But I'm playing this because Greg was suggesting um, a Young and the Restless for adults for the film to see in a movie theater, like an actual movie theater, not a movie theater where Pee Wee Herman may have been found once upon a time. No, no, we're not looking for an X-rated. As one of our listeners so succinctly put it, Greg wants to put the R in Y&R. R for restricted. And and yeah, I... Maybe I do. Just above PG-13, if okay? You, if, if they only knew, I mean, the amount of times he, Greg talks about Y&R on the show and then off air, the amount of times he talks about you it. You think I'm obsessed with the Winnipeg Jets. This is nothing. Um, I'm going to get you a podcast, a Y&R podcast we should start. Oh. Yeah, Charles Adler and I could host it. Charles oh Adler God. loves Y&R as much or more than I do. And then another one of our listeners says, how about a Gilligan's Island reboot where the comedy is replaced by a realistic depiction of the horror and desperation one might expect from being stranded? Yeah, I think that sounds great. Uh, If you're going to keep doing these reboots, I don't see why they can't do this kind of different version. Uh, Like with 90210 this summer, they're doing that. It's a limited run this summer, but they're coming back to play themselves and talk about doing a reboot. So I kind of like that, Mm -hmm. where they're going back to the well, but they're going back to the well in a different way. They're just just dipping their toe in it. Well, we're talking about this because a fan of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which was early 90s? I want to say, yep. um, put out a fake, fake trailer of what he would like to see a reboot of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air look like. And so we had all these listeners. Hogan's Hero was another one. Yep. Someone said we should reboot MASH, but set it in a retirement home where all the characters could just be babbling about where life has taken them over the last 30 years. And uh, The Rockford Files, someone suggested. James Garner, That's of course, mm-hmm. has passed away. But uh, The Rockford Files was a good, just, just for the theme music alone, I want to see the Rockford Files come back to television. Oh, and you know what? Uh, just in terms of theme music, if I can just find it here. Uh, I don't have it handy. But there was a show called The Streets of San Francisco, which uh, actually starred a young Michael Douglas. You betcha. Carl Malden loved The Streets of San Francisco. That was a terrific show. I can't believe I don't have that. Anyway, I'll, I'll get... Oh, my God. Forte, well done. That took you no time at all. This is a great theme song. The streets. I have no idea what you're talking about here. I don't know this at all. Do, do the intro. The streets of San Francisco. <laughs> Starring Carl Malden. And Michael Douglas. <laughs> nothing. I got nothing oh, here. If you you're not see, old enough. <laughs> the wanna, same age as Brett. I, I think I found it by accident yeah, one day. You didn't stumble upon this as a 10-year-old. Yeah. So you can watch the Bel Air trailer. I've linked it to our 680CJOB Instagram. Honestly, it looks really cool. Very well done. It uh, So, Greg, thank you for bringing that to our attention and thus to the attention of our 680 CJOB family. And no doubt our CJOB family will have lots to say on what the worst road is in Winnipeg. Yeah, as you head into work this morning, pay attention to the route you're taking. We want to know if you would grade your drive into work with an A or a C or is it so bu- bumpy this time of year with potholes that you would just give it a hard F? We're asking this question because later this morning, around the same time that City Council votes on a budget that will include $32 million less for road repairs, CAA 
will be launching its annual Worst Road campaign. You know the one. You can try and count them. But you have to be quick. Like an old school game of Frogger, dodging potholes. And then the oncoming traffic is a game of sorts in Winnipeg. It's pretty rough. You have to maneuver around. Except no one is laughing. I'm wondering how you're finding the roads this spring. <laughs> well, not really. A real damn challenge, I'll tell you. Is that you, McNabb? That's me. And I found that I found that A because I love the Frogger reference because that's how it feels sometimes when you have pothole season and you're just trying to <laughs> avoid coming home and having like a flat tire or your shock's gone and all the rest. But I played it because that story of the CAA road campaign was done five years ago, which is around the time Winnipeg started ramping up its road spending. So back then, it spent about $84 million on roads. And then as of last year, it was up to $116 million. Now, thanks to what the city calls a retroactive cut from the province, we're going back down to $86 million this year. And they're going to vote on that budget this morning. And you'll get to vote on the worst road. And so it sort of just kind of came at the same time where I was like, we've been talking about this for years. Felt like we were making some inroads on our roads and the repairs, and now we're back down to that budget of five years ago. Two million more than in 2014, but only two million more than in 2014. And that increased spending came on the heels of, I think it was seven straight years of essentially spending no money mm-hmm. on local roads in Winnipeg under the Sam Cates uh, administration, if we'll call it that. So I think there's going to be a lot of people talking about this. The city budget goes to city council today. The mayor's here in about a half hour's time. We'll ask him about the latest volley, the latest threat in this back and forth between the city and the province. And there is an assertion and a possibility that there is up to $40 million in this federal budget for the city of Winnipeg for roads. How quickly will that arrive in Winnipeg? Are the Brinks trucks on the way from Ottawa right now? Is there an (laughs) e-transfer in process as we speak? You have to elect that government first and then you might get that money. Oh, you mean that's not happening like now? No, the check's not in the mail. They don't have have checks. Right now? Tomorrow. You'll get it tomorrow. Okay, good. But I did think, like I used to lament my drive on Pemina, for example, and it's really, really improved. They've done a lot of work there. They've still got stuff to do on Jubilee and finishing the underpass, but that's been good. Keniston, that new extension that I come in on the south, is gold, but there's work to do as I get to Polo Park. But I feel my commute has improved no matter where it's taking me. For the most part, there's been sections, at least, where I'm like, oh, this feels smoother than it did five years ago. Oh, and the so brand th- new Chief Pegasus Trail has completely changed my life. I was talking to the boys the other day, Dad, how do we get to school before they built the Chief Pegasus Trail? Well, we would go down <laughs> this road, and then we go down here and down that residential right. street, and this non-truck route, truck route on Springfield Road, and... <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 getting better. It's not terrific. It's not where a lot of us imagine it could be, but I think for the most part it is getting better. And in terms of potholes, I know that we are up against the climate and and I I struggle to remember this. One of our listeners, I think it was maybe 2 years ago, one of our listeners pointed out something on our text line as to why because we were lamenting like why why is it such a problem here it's not the same in other areas and someone said well it's because of the climate and the way that our elevation or something and the the way the water pools underground and i don't know it had to do with the red river valley or something red river complicated like, yeah so if you if you know why we have this particular problem because people often say well why are why is this not a problem it's saskatchewan like we always point to Saskatchewan, it's no different climate. Yeah, same population. It's not like there's more people driving on our roads versus theirs. More in our city, but the the, the populations are the same. Are they spending it differently? Do we have different clay? Yeah, so I, th- I think it's a lot is of it, it has to do with the, the water. Is it all about the clay? It could be the water. I, I was wondering if the Empress is always in such rough shape because it runs yeah. along the creek. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know these things, but many of our listeners are. Or so higher traffic know. volumes here. But we CAA is launching this campaign. So what's your worst road? Let us know what your worst road is. And then as we head into the city hall and the budget being voted on today, do you care? Like, are you okay with spending less on your roads? Neil's not. He texted us. This is great. Why do cars have to be roadworthy? But roads don't have to be car worthy. Yesterday, Loren, you told us about a story, and uh, this is really sad. Here's the headline at globalnews.ca Dead whale found in Philippines with 88 pounds of plastic in its stomach. 
88 pounds of plastic. And I know a whale is a pretty large mammal, and I appreciate that it has a lot of room. But the fact that this whale that was found uh, off the southern Philippine island of Mindanao last month with 80 pounds of plastic is just insane. And they did a—is it a necropsy? Like an autopsy, but for— Animals and so they they showed they had the video which sounds like it's going to be um, disgusting to watch but it really is more disturbing. They pulled out sheet after sheet after sheet of huge chunks of plastic that this whale had consumed over the years um, in the ocean and so it got me thinking about how bad the problem is of plastics not just in the ocean but potentially in our own waterways here in Manitoba and so to help us digest that further we're joined by Candy Betts who is with the Eco Network. Good morning, Candy. Hi, I, uh, I just just to clarify, I'm no longer with Eco Network. I'm teaching at the University of Winnipeg, but I, I did work with Eco Network for a while. A great group, and um, and we did a number of shoreline cleanups, and so we documented some local plastic uh, through those for sure. So tell us what you saw, like it, where, what lakes were you on, or riverways, and and what well, kind of. Y- yeah, we were just actually, like, uh, within the city limits, actually. We were looking at, uh, we did some work on Omens Creek and on uh, by the Red and Assiniboine Rivers, and there's there's a number of groups that do these cleanups every spring, which is fantastic. But we see a lot of things like cigarette butts um, and a lot of, well, there's a fair bit of paper and cardboard and stuff as well, but definitely lots of single-use plastic bags and plastic bottles and caps and and straws, and uh, all sorts of plastic pieces. Yeah, there's all sorts of plastic out there all over the place. The cigarette butts, I could imagine people are just flicking them off of their boats, but things like the plastic bags or these other plastics you're talking about, is that also just from people being irresponsible and throwing them away? Are they washing into the water? Like, what's happening? Well, I mean, I I think it's a bit of everything. Um, I I think we just really, I mean, my my message is always we are responsible for the things that we take, right? If we go to a store and we get a single-use plastic bag, well, that bag is now in our possession, right? Um, and so it's, it's, it's important that we deal with that properly. And, and so I think it's really kind of on everybody, uh, and there's just a lot of us. And so even when, you know, just a small percentage of us slip up, then we end up with a lot of plastic in the environment. So I think a lot of it is just irresponsible, and it's not even just irresponsible. It's like just not connecting the dots. You know, it's, oh, it's just one, you know, and that's what you say to your kids, right? Well, if everybody did that, then there'd be so many pieces. And, and, uh, and I think that's just the, the message to get across. It's like every little bit counts, and we need to be responsible for our own little piece. Well, Candy, we know that the city of Winnipeg still flushes and dumps the raw sewage into the Red and Assiniboine rivers on an annual basis. But you just have to look historically in terms of even how Winnipeg was built, where the Forks is now, that was a rail yard. And even the buildings were constructed with their backs to the river. The riverways were transportation ways historically. And there were garbage dumps for to a great extent in major cities all around the world for a long, long time. Kind of that out of sight, out of mind attitude towards waterways. Is it, is it starting to change? Are we starting to catch on to this? Yeah, I, I think we are. I mean, you can see a whole bunch of stories and people obviously becoming, you know, a little irate and upset when you hear about like the, for example, I think you're talking about a lot of like combined sewer overflows and things like that. And, and yeah, it's, you know, it's definitely something that we have to work on. But at least, you know, we're, we're making progress because before like the 1930s, I think it was 1937, like all of our sewage went raw, right, into, into the rivers. And at least now we have treatment plants and, and we definitely, hey, we need to really up grade that north end treatment plant, especially to remove phosphorus, just a little side dig there. But, but there's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot more that, that needs to be done for sure. Um, and, and some of those combined sewer overflows are also definitely contributing, you know, when, when we have really high precipitation. I mean, the good news about the overflows is that at least it's usually very dilute as far as the sewage going in at that time, but it certainly takes in a lot of other things as well. And a lot of those other things end up being garbage and plastic bags and cigarette butts and all that kind of lovely stuff that, that we find along the, the shorelines and the ditches and, and the waterways in the city. Do you think part of the problem is, even with these images of this whale from the Philippines area that emerged over the last few days and, and scientists that found 88 pounds of plastic in yeah. its stomach, then they also in the same article will point to the fact that five uh, Asian cu- countries, China, Indonesia, the Philippines, Vietnam, and Thailand, account for more than half of the plastic that ends up in our waterways. And so it's kind of easy for us to say, well, we're not the ones doing that. Are we facing a scenario, say, even here in Manitoba, that I catch a fish someday and there's a plastic grocery bag in its stomach or pieces of it? 
Well, I sure, uh, absolutely possible. I, I mean, I, of course, a whale is very big and they have very big mouths, so they take in all sorts of things. Um, but uh, what we do have here, even now, I know there's some work being done at the University of Manitoba. Uh, Sarah Warwick and uh, her supervisor Mark Hansen did some work on, on microplastics, uh, and certainly we're they're finding them in fish here uh, as we speak. Um, and if you had bigger fish, then it's certainly possible that they're going to be ingesting larger pieces. Um, and it just the sad thing is, right, plastic does not degrade. And so when that whale maybe ate a piece and it just kind of stayed there, maybe got tangled up somewhere and, and it, it kind of entangles even like internal organs, you know, like it just binds up the intestines. And so eventually you just kind of fill up and, and, and can't consume any or digest any more food. And it's, it can't be a very good way to, uh, to, to go either as far as that goes. And, and the good news about stories like that, not that there's good news, but at least it draws attention to the issue. So people start to go, oh, wow, you know, like we need to take responsibility but we have issues at home they have issues abroad and i mean let's face it a lot of the plastic made abroad uh for the the u.s was was sending all their plastic to 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 china for the longest time so it's all fine for us to sit here and point fingers at these other countries but most of the plastic they make in many cases is in response to our demands for it um so yeah you know what nobody's the time for finger pointing you know what we got to work together it's it's really kind of over we're all in this together, and, uh, and and everybody has a piece of responsibility for what goes on in the environment. Candy, one of the ways that I became aware of just how significant this problem is, is I watch, I watch one of the couch potatoes. I watch a lot of TV, and in recent <laughs> years, I've watched Planet Earth 2 and Blue Planet 2. Oh, yeah, those are great. Uh, they're awesome shows, but when they get to the, the, show, the episodes about the environmental <sighs> impact on the water, it is nauseating to see just how much yeah. garbage there is in the water that, that has been been put there by us. Yeah, absolutely. And it is put there by us. And that's one thing we have to remember. It's not like it's magically got there by itself. <laughs> we, we had to create it and we had to dump it. And so, uh, I mean, our goal, of course, should be on, on pollution prevention, right? On preventing the plastics from getting there in the first place. And the best thing way we can do that is to you know, try to use as many reusable products as possible. You know, say no to single-use straws and single-use plastic bags when, you know, when you absolutely can. Um, drinking water, uh, the, the amount of water bottles that we have, and, and I see it constantly, you know, you go to the grocery store or whatever, and people are having, uh, you know, all of these, these individual servings of drinking water. The, the amount of energy to transport that water, and that water isn't even regulated like your tap water is, um, you know, it's, it's time to bring reusable containers and, and it's just really getting the message out and thinking about what we're doing. Um, even like going to Tim Hortons or your favorite coffee shop, right? Like bring, bring a mug, you know, uh, they, they, they refill them and they actually give you a little bit of discount because um, all of those uh, containers as well, they're not even recyclable. So, Well, you know, I think we could have this discussion ongoing for, for uh, many more minutes and maybe even several hours, but I can't <laughs> help but go back in time Candy to being in grade two, grade three, and reading on and watching a film about acid rain in southern Ontario, and to see you know Lake uh, Lake Erie on fire, mm-hmm. and to hear about how Lake Huron was dying, and yeah. and then to have someone in grade seven come and talk about the the peril that that Lake Winnipeg faced. Well, here we are, thirty five years after hearing about that for the first time, and and Lake Winnipeg is in genuine peril when they show it on the satellite images anywhere around the world. With whether it be on news broadcasts or otherwise, Lake Winnipeg is not blue. It's green it's on those green. images. It's very difficult to for me to fathom that and wrap my head around it. Is it just the little things that we can do in order to be aware that might not flip this script, but we can't give up on this, can we? No, absolutely not. I mean, the, the good news about Lake Winnipeg is that it's this massive, massive body of water and it's relatively shallow, though. And so when the wind goes across it, it makes these waves, and it's really quite well mixed. And so it's different, a bit of a different situation if you have, like, a very deep lake. A lot of those lakes, they will go what we call anoxic. They lose oxygen in the bottom water, and that can be really tragic for a lot of the, you know, animals that need air, <laughs> that need oxygen to breathe. Um, but uh, Lake Winnipeg doesn't have that kind of a problem yet. Uh, it's certainly kind of approaching there, and there are some areas that are deeper in the lake that do have some areas of anoxia where it's where there's not as much oxygen but you know what there 
it, it can get better. And we've seen, we've seen like Lake Erie when they stopped putting the phosphates in. I mean, it's, it's getting back to that similar situation now for different reasons because now instead of having all these individual point sources, like from sewage plants and from all our laundry and all that kind of stuff, we're seeing it more from things like, you know, just runoff from just land, like from agricultural areas and things like that. And that's obviously much harder to control. But we need to look at it at all levels. And, and one of the things we like to do, and we so like to finger point, but the North End Sewage Treatment Plant, going back to that, which is the phosphorus, is the issue coming out of that plant for the lake and making it green. Um, and it's coming from all sorts of sources. But the largest single point source we have that we could do something about is that plant. And we need to upgrade it to remove the phosphorus. And there's different ways of doing that. I mean, I know the upgrade, they're saying $1.4 billion, and now it's probably higher. But that's not just for phosphorus removal. We could remove the phosphorus for dramatically cheaper in the meantime while we're waiting to, you know, maybe do the full upgrade. Um, and I know that's something Lake Winnipeg Foundation is really working towards and, and something that I fully endorse as well because uh, we need to lead by example and we can't sit there and, you know, oh, this is coming from the, you know, a lot of the, the phosphorus is coming from south of the border. Um, but uh, a lot of it's coming from here too. And, and if, we, if we don't take initiative and show that we're concerned about it enough to do something, then why should anybody else? Candy Bezdi is an instructor at the University of Winnipeg Richardson College for the Environment and Science Complex. She specializes in aquatic toxicology and has joined us live on CJOB this morning. Candy, thank you so much for this. You're welcome. Thank you so much, you guys. Uh, kudos for taking this on. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Always excited to bring in our next guest, one of our all-time favorite guests. Her name is Lara Ray. And do we just stop talking at this point, Lara? Let's I'm back. Yes, here I go. The monologue begins. <laughs> <laughs> Drop Seize one your word. opportunity. Go. Drop one word. Dragonfly. Dragonfly, yes. Dragonfly. Now, I'll start here uh, because somebody said uh, last night, uh, what does the title mean? Because, you know, uh, in sometimes in movies or plays, you wait for that moment where there's a scene where they say, you know, mm-hmm. oh, you're like a dragon, whatever. But a dragonfly as, a, as, a, as an animal goes through several uh, incomplete nymphal stages before it becomes a full adult. So there's almost this kind of life... Uh, force that's interrupted several times before the 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 animal arrives at its at its full embodiment, and I thought that was a beautiful thing. And also, I love eating mosquitoes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for those two reasons, I thought it would be a perfect name for a play. Hey, you take a bike ride. Your odds are eating, of eating mosquitoes are right. pretty yes, high. I, so. I didn't. I learned to love eating mosquitoes. <laughs> Let me put it that way. I didn't start there, but after they've flown in your mouth, you just get used to it. Normally, we bring Lara Ray in to talk about the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. We do, and what a coincidence, because we are the website and everything is launching this week. So uh, if you have some time over the weekend, you can sit down and see all the great acts that are coming. And uh, if you want to come to the uh, McPhillips Street Station uh, on Saturday night, we have a launch thing with Ron Josso, who I think you've had in a few mm-hmm. times, a Filipino comic. Uh, is going to be there as well, and a contest with 20 great local comedians winning a spot, uh, opening for one of our surprise guests. Wow. Yeah. What's the website? Uh, WinnipegComedyFestival.com. Now back to Dragonfly. That's a pretty good (laughs) website. That's a pretty good website. (laughs) Now, Dragonfly, as Lara referenced, is a play that is going on right now, Rachel Brown Theatre. It started on the 14th. It's on until the 24th. And that's on Bannachine Street, right right behind, across the board, that that board game uh, shop. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, so right uh, in the exchange. Now, what is Dragonfly about? Well, I call it a gender odyssey or a gender autobiography. And it started as a a show I wrote before I transitioned called One Man Show with Sarah Constable. So, uh, you know, already there was the beginning. I I was kind of dropping, you know, a little bit of breadcrumbs about this journey to come, you know. And so having a cisgender woman play me who was male-bodied at the time. And... In this particular uh, version and incarnation of the play, we have two actors, Eric Blaise and Sarah Constable, both terrific uh, uh, local Winnipeg actors. And uh, it tells my story, and then, but they also kind of embody other people as well. So they, they both call themselves I, referring to myself, um, and yet they're, they're different aspects of me, uh, and they're not gendered in that, in that sense. So it's not like Sarah plays the feminine side of me and Eric plays, say, the masculine side of me. It really is uh, a way of just allowing 
human beings to be on stage without really kind of addressing gender in any way. And it's and it seems to be quite effective and, and works works quite well. And then all oh, that all sounds terribly pretentious when I describe <laughs> it at nine thirty in the morning. Uh, but uh, it, honestly, it does work, and, and it's really resonated with people. And one of the things, you know, is trans stories are often not told by trans people. And also, I would say that it's the external things. It's the people see of trans people, the physical transition that is so often focused on. You know, every time I'm asked to do a story for the news or something, they, they always begin, I'm just waiting for it. They say, okay, so let's, we'll begin the story with you putting on some makeup right. and then we'll see a picture yeah. of you, what you looked before. And, and, and there's tropes that, that, that people imagine that our lives are like. And so I say this is almost like the inside voice of a trans person. Well, the description that I'm reading says, matching our inside to our outside is always hard. For trans people, it's often a matter of life and death. Certainly it is a matter of life and death. And even though it's not certainly categorized uh, this way, I would I would put you know gender confirmation surgery and certainly my gender confirmation surgery as a life-saving you know, medical procedure. For your soul? For your soul, yeah, really. And I mean, you know, I don't I don't want to uh, burden everyone, you know, but it is important to, you know, really look at the, the amount of, of, of suicide uh, that goes on in, in this community and in the LGBT community across the board and how it has been demonstrated that with support and proper access to health care and social services that these numbers go right back to a normal range. And so it is not so much that people are... Uh, emotionally, mentally distressed because this is organic, but because of the environment and because of the way they are treated. What we put on them or what other people put on. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) You live and and work in in a world that also has a high rate of suicide and that's performers. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Individuals who have a a hard time, their their public persona is very different from what their personal persona is. I know that some people are surprised when they see me, but, you know, off air or away from a public event, I can be very reserved and sort of quiet. I'm not always that way, but I can be. And so yes, no, the, 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 the two a, don't necessarily they, mesh. They don't, they don't certainly match up. And I mean, that perfect example, of course, is someone like like poor Judy Garland, you know, who just paced, literally pasted on that smile and was just suffering so much. And again, a lot of most of her issues were not her own. They were imposed upon her by the abuse that she suffered you know, uh, throughout her years. But I mean, it really is a, uh, you know, there's that famous story of... Uh, you know, the someone goes to see a, a psychiatrist. Uh, you know, at the turn of the of the nineteenth, you know, into the twentieth century, and they're just so so despondent and so upset, and 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 like that, you know, close close to coming to the end, you know, and not not having any opportunities, and and the and the psychiatrist, the alienist, as they were called back mm-hmm. then, says, you know, um, I've never said this before, but I have to tell you, there's this clown that's come to our town to perform shows. And every night people go and they leave with such peace and joy in their hearts. And I think, you know, it's an odd prescription, but why not go see Pagliacci perform tonight? And the patient sobs and sobs and the, the shrink says, what's the matter? And he says, I am Pagliacci. And I mean, I think that's a very, very valid, uh, valid story. You know, I think it's quite, um, it's quite true. It's probably not factual, but it's true, <laughs> you know, in that sense. You know, it really is a... It's something. So I, I guess I get it on both sides, you know, in that sense. So do you get the question, what if I'm non-trans or I, I don't have anyone in my family or know anyone, which is probably not true, you probably... Well, yes, you never know, what, right? What, but what, yes, what am I, more what am I going more. to get out of this story? Clearly, you'd have a very small argument audience if the target was just to speak to and those yes, that and have I mean, one of, the, one of the, the things that is very, very uh, rewarding is, first of all, if you grew up in the 70s, it's chock full of references to one of the most bizarro decades in human <laughs> history. Like, what the hell was everybody doing? You know? You know how they always say yeah. that we repeat ourselves? Yeah. And you're like, yeah. let, let us never repeat I, the 70s, I right? I don't have this in the play, but I, I remember <laughs> so distinctly. As, as kids, I was probably about 11 or 12 and my sister is about uh, you know nine or ten, and we go over to a dinner party at these uh, my parents' friends. And as they're leaving, the father goes into the cupboard and gives my um, my dad a garbage bag full of pornographic magazines. <laughs> and everyone thinks that perfectly okay. Like what the, what on earth were we doing? And so there's a lot of that. And then anybody that um, d- that struggles with anything 
with their inside not matching their outside, anyone that struggles with their voice not being heard, anyone that struggles with bullying, anyone that has something inside them that they think, you know, I don't think that there's anything wrong with this, but every time I try to talk about it, people tell me it's wrong and that I'm bad, you know, and this is this is just forbidden, um, I think can really um, relate, you know, to this to this story. And uh, it does, even though the, 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 the actors do not embody gender, it really deals with how much the imposition of gender on us as, as just human beings and as souls uh, really impacts how, um, how we, we are in the world and, and can destroy people. I mean, the way the world is structured is, is painful for both men and women and trans people and non-binary people. And uh, these conversations we're having now are so crucial and even though some people think of it as a bit comical right now and a bit kind of extreme, that's because it's brand new. And I think it will adjust to a to a new world. And I think people have to learn to accept that this is a sea change, that mm-hmm. is people are demanding, and that once we're on the other side of it, we will look back on 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 what was before and say, I don't know how we, we put up with this for so long, you know? Our guest in studio is Lara Ray, who is putting on a play right now at the Rachel Brown Theatre at 211 Bannatyne, and it's called Dragonfly. It's in association with the Manitoba Association of Playwrights, and it's a story about your journey. It is, yeah. I have an interesting story about my journey here today. Uh, on the way here, uh, I was followed by uh, 3, 5, 7, 9, and 11, uh, so I guess the odds are against me. <laughs> Come on! Come on! I just got that. I, don't know. I was like, huh? Does she mean buses? A dad joke? You come with a dad <laughs> a joke? <laughs> We're talking about getting rid of gender. Well, hopefully, and so, still as a dad a parent, joke. I still tell dad jokes. Oh my god, I didn't. That was I so saw that on a sign on the way in on the front of a pub or something. I just, it made me laugh. Uh. <laughs> Oh, well, hopefully oh I'll be God. followed by two, four, the, six, and we can get oh God, even. On the more serious oh, note. Oh, hey. Been, oh, yeah, no, that's funny. Nobody that's got funny. that one either. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. I got it. Good job, McCann. You know, it's like the cats, eh? the two swimmers. You know, the English cat and the French cat swimming. One was called one, two, three, and the other was called une, deux, trois, and they, they had a swim race. And you know who won? The English cat, one, two, three, because une, deux, trois, cat, sank. <laughs> Because <laughs> in French, you yeah, see one, two, three, the four, first, five. Yeah, the, the oh, first that's five. a okay, good one. So really, just took two minutes of your precious time on two really bad dad know, jokes. I'm so sorry. That's good. Good, okay. good language lessons. Good math lessons. I just wanted your uh, listeners to laugh for a second. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we always laugh when you you're here. You catch more flies with honey. All right. So dragonfly. Yes. It masks the inner life of a trans woman. Yes. And yeah. you were saying before in the commercial break, you had a great story about as you worked with the different writers yeah, and directors so, I mean, and everything. Yeah. So everyone. Uh, Everyone, at least in the room in the production end, um, uh, it was cisgender, you know, and I was the only transgender person. And uh, so one of the things we do, and you've probably seen this at meetings now, it's pretty common where you go around and people are asked to, or they put in a name tag, you know, what, what's your preferred pronouns, you know, or either he or she or they or them, you know. And and so we went around the room and I, I said, Lara, she, and then because, you know, everyone says gender, you know. Artist, the director says she, and Rhea says she, and Hugh says he. But then we got to Eric Place, who's a cisgender, heterosexual actor, two kids married, and we're just waiting for Eric to say he, you know. And there's this long pause. And he says, I don't know what my preferred pronoun is, because no one's ever asked me before. Mm-hmm. And I burst into tears, because <laughs> I thought, wow, you know, he just, I mean, and maybe he gets round to he or, you know, because he's quite established, you know, in heteronormativity. But just the idea that he would take the time to consider it and take it seriously. And I think that's all people are asking uh, that everyone does is to understand that people are sincere and serious when they talk about these things. Now, now I heard Loren use transgender woman. And then I wonder, so at what point... You've oh, this is an interesting question. So, yes, so, yes, right. So uh, I'm a big sports guy. Yes. Former number one pick 
fill in the blank in the draft. Well, he's always going to be a number one pick. He was yes, always yes, drafted number yes. one. He's a former Winnipeg Blue Bomber. Uh, all these forms. Yeah. At what point are you just a woman? At what point? Well, this uh, is how, interesting. How do, we, yeah. how do we talk about that? I mean, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because there's, um, and it's changed. And you know that this language is very fluid because, I mean, it used to be that um, it was transsexual mm-hmm. was, was, the, was the phrase. And then they went to transgender just because people began to realize there's a very firm distinction between sex and gender. And then, of course, um, uh, this, has, uh, this has created problems on both sides around biological kind of determinism. But one of the things I think that's uh, that in, my, in my view and in my mind is that as long as people understand transgender is an, is an adjective, right? It's not a noun. So you'll hear, I'm not a, I'm not a transgender, right? Right? It, it, right? You know, it's a part of me. And so this adjective that's descriptive, you know, you may say you're, you're, you're a red-haired woman, you know, or you're, you know, you're... From the bottle. From, from the bottle. It used to be real. <laughs> you know, you're <laughs> anyway, a, I digress. You're, you know, you're a broadcasting woman. Yeah. You know, it's one aspect of you, Right. And um, and so this is one aspect of me. It's not. It does not incorporate incorporate my entirety. On the other hand, I'm very proud of it. You know, as someone depending on how much work I do. Um, you know, either both with my voice and my physical appearance. Am I am I passing 100% as a cis woman? Uh, sometimes, sometimes not. And so, to me, I I'll, I'll never be ashamed of that. So I want to establish it. And then obviously there are distinctions. You know, I, I don't have a uterus. You know, I don't menstruate. I was socialized as a boy and a male. And even though I didn't like it and understand it, it still gives me privilege and so on. So it's it's important that we, we recognize these uh, distinctions as long as there is equity and equality. And these distinctions are not used to separate women from each other. You Do you know, know how that, many people are uncomfortable with the conversation we're having? Oh, right many now, people, but right? that's exciting, isn't it? When things are uncomfortable, it means changes are happening. And when people are so resistant and oppositional, it means that we are actually kind of shaking the bars of the patriarchal cage. Lara Ray is her name. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.